الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وليعفو وليصفحو ألا تحبون أن يغفر الله لكم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المصنين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so this is um, session eight, and today's session um, will be on the habit of forgiving. Today's session is on the habit of forgiving. So if you recollect the last couple of days, we've been talking about habits of highly effective believers, uh, in particular, um, ha- habits as they pertain to their dealings with other people. So two days ago, we covered volunteering and how a person sacrifices their time uh, for the sake of others. Um, Yesterday we talked about giving and how a person sacrifices their wealth for the benefit of others. So today we're going to talk about how we deal with each other when it comes to uh, when we're wronged or when something, you know, when when someone has wronged us. And the general theme, you'll notice, for instance, the last couple of days, is that the way we want Allah Ta'ala to treat us is how we would treat other people. So for instance, in the case of volunteering, our intention is that by us volunteering, for the sake of the benefit of other people, that perhaps, perchance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will... Uh, so let me put it this way. By us volunteering and giving our time for the sake of other people in this world, perhaps Allah ta'ala in the Day of Judgment and in the Akhirah will give us plenty of time for us to be free. That's our intention. Um, by us making the intention that uh, of, of not withholding our funds and our wealth or our income so that it benefits other people. Our hope is that by us not withholding, Allah Ta'ala won't withhold His mercy from us also on the Day of Judgment. Right? So there's like a theme here. The way we want Allah Ta'ala to deal with us, we deal with others. Similarly, when it comes to forgiving and the habit or the habitual, habitual practice of forgiving other people, the idea, the general idea is that we want uh, more than anything for Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to forgive us. Right? Meaning regularly and most certainly on the Day of Judgment, we want him to overlook our mistakes. And perhaps one of the easiest ways by which we can do it is by readily forgiving people in this world. Is by readily forgiving people in this world. And I'm going to come to uh, this from the Quran shortly. You know, there's many examples from the stories of the prophets that highlight how they were so forgiving and so kind. You know, one example is the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Right, where this is an individual who was wronged by his brothers to such an extent that honestly most of us can't say we've had that experience with our siblings. They disliked him to such an extent that they wanted to actually kill him. Eventually they settled for throwing him down a well. Right? I mean, imagine the oppression there. And then he gets, so because of that action that they committed, look at the downstream effect. He's now in a well. He gets sold into slavery, so now he's having to report to, you know, he's now owned by another human being, so to speak. After that, he then is accused of committing a sin with the wife of the Aziz, which he never did. Um, and so there is a reputation issue at hand. Then, as a consequence of that, he gets thrown into prison, wrongfully accused. And he spends many years, many years in prison. Um, and eventually he gets released from prison and then he reaches this very high state, right, within the, within the state of Egypt. He becomes, a, you can say, the chief minister of the economy. But what's interesting is that when his brothers eventually come 
time one, two, time two, they come the third time they end up coming to Misr and they basically say, Ya ayyuhal aziz, Like we've come, we have nothing to offer, but you know, have mercy on us essentially. And then Yusuf Al looking at his brothers, he says to them so beautifully, he says, Qala Hala do you know what happened or what you did to Yusuf and his brothers when you were in a state of jahiliyyah, like you were ignorant? You know, if it was anyone else, um, look at the wording that he uses. He said, do you know what you did? You know, it, would have, it should have been like, like, do you know what oppression you caused to your little brother? You know, do you know what difficulty and what zulm you created and the hardships that you faced? And then he says, is antum jahilun? Like giving them an excuse, like when you were ignorant and you didn't realize what the what the effects of sin would be, right? Do you know what you did in that time? Um, and then they, then they realize, like, wow, this must be Yusuf. And they ask him, are you Yusuf, right? Uh, and then they basically say, he says, I am Yusuf. This is my brother, Binyamin. Yameen. continues. Um, and then they acknowledge their mistake. We were the wrongdoers. And then he says, right, in what's quoted in the Qur'an, that on this day, there's nothing due upon you. Let's just pretend that nothing ever happened. I mean, amazing. This is, the, this is the statement that he's making to someone that basically took his life, someone, a group of people, his brothers, that took his life, flipped it upside down, and he now had to suffer for many, many years. And he became the patient you know, prophet along with his father. This is the same statement, لا تثريب عليكم that, you know, the kuffar, when they had oppressed the Prophet ﷺ to such an extent uh, that, you know, it's physical torture, psychological torture, he was left alone, booted out of his city, etc., etc. And then when he comes back into Makkah, Mukarramah, he makes the same statement to them, لا تثريب عليكم nothing's due upon you, you're, you're forgiven. It's as if nothing ever happened. So it's, it's incredible, the prophets are basically teaching us that, look, you know, uh, they're obviously the most effective believers that have ever existed. And they're highlighting to us that one of the most important qualities is this quality of forgiving. And we learn from other ahadith that, um, you know, Allah Ta'ala really loves the quality of forgiveness. When a person forgives, the Prophet said, no one forgives, but that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala increases that person in their honor. This is in Sahih Muslim. No one forgives, except that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala increases their, that person in honor. You know, once the Prophet was asked, um, which of the people is best? Which people are best? This is in hadith. Um, so the Prophet said two categories. One is everyone who is pure of heart and sincere of speech. Whoever is pure of heart and sincere of speech, these are the people that are the best. So the Sahaba said, okay, we know what it means to be sincere of speech, but what does it mean to be pure of heart? We know what it means to be sincere of speech, but what does it mean to be pure of heart? So the Prophet said, it is the heart that is pious and pure, with no sin, injustice, rancor, or envy that's contained within it. Right? Meaning this notion that remove your heart of all evils, and amongst those evils are the grudges and the, um, the, the ill feelings that we hold toward other people. And if we're able to do that, then we're honored by Allah Ta'ala, and we're considered amongst the best of people. We're given a very high maqam. This is what the prophets did. They're wronged time and time again, and then they would overlook and forgive. So forgiving should be a habitual practice of ours. It should be something that we do regularly, not just once in our lives, but it should be something that we do on a daily basis where we think about are there ill feelings in my heart toward other people? Or are there people in my heart that I haven't forgiven? Maybe a sibling, maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a relative, maybe somebody from the community, maybe somebody at work. 
And do I still kill, carry those ill feelings within my heart? You know, there's a story of, of, that comes from, uh, there's a story of, of, at the time of the Sahaba, at the time of the Prophet many of you may have heard this story, where the Prophet was sitting with a group of his companions in Masjid Nabawi, and uh, the Prophet was sitting and he's talking to them, and then a person enters through one of the entrances, I think it was Bab Jibreel, and the Prophet says at that point, that, no, he says, he says, that uh, from that door is going to enter a person of Jannah. From that door is going to enter a person of Jannah. So the Sahaba, they started listening, like, wow, like, who, who is this person? Who, the Prophet is saying, is this person going to be a person of Jannah? And entering, as soon as he said that, a person coming in through that door walks in. He has like his slippers in his left hand, and he just made wudu, and his beard is uh, wet with, with water. And he walks in. So the Sahaba are amazed. Uh, the following day, they're, si- they're sitting again with the Prophet And he says again, he repeats the same thing. He says, from that door is going to be a person of Jannah. A person of Jannah, meaning a person who eventually will be, will be granted Jannah. So the Sahaba again are amazed and they're looking and then from that door comes that same, indipre- same person, same style. He's got his you know, slippers in his left hand, his beard is wet with the, with the water of wudu and he's entering Masjid Nabawi. A third day, same exact thing happens. Prophet says to this group of companions that through this door is going to be a man of Jannah or a person of Jannah. And the Sahaba watch and they see the same individual, shoes in his left hand, beard is wet and soaking with water, and he comes in. So these companions are amazed and they're bewildered. Um, from amongst those companions was a companion by the name of uh, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. He was the son of Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu. So he was in the gathering of the Prophet and he's hearing this all three days that this is a person of Jannah. So he begins to wonder what is so special about this person that the Prophet ﷺ is saying Jannah and if the Prophet ﷺ is saying this is a person of Jannah then that's it, there's no question, there's no doubt because the Prophet ﷺ said it, that's it, it's truth and he knows this and he's wondering what is so special about this person now, why is this thought coming into his mind? well we have to know who Amr, uh, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As was he was one of the most pious companions who was known because of his energy when it comes to worshipping Allah this was what one of his qualities. He was known because of his energy when it comes to worshiping Allah. It comes in narration that he would fast every single day, 365 days of the year. Imagine, right? This was his practice. He fasted all 365 days of the year. He used to pray all night, Qiyamul Layl. He used to pray throughout the night. And he used to finish one Khatmul Quran every single day. Every day, one Quran. Every day he would fast and he would stay up throughout the night. You know, it, 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 to such an extent that, you know, and he, he eventually got married. And on his wedding night, you know, his, his uh, wife, you know, became prepared. She was the, she was the, uh, the bride. And, uh, you know, after their, their ceremony, um, he went to go meet her at night. And she was dressed up like she would be, like a typical bride would be, you know, ready to receive um, uh, her husband. And, um, uh, and what does he do? He, you know, pulls out the musalla and he just starts praying all night. All the way until Fajr prayer, he starts praying. Uh, so she's like, what is this, right? Like, you know, th- we're now married. So eventually this reached the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ came, you know, brought Amr Abdullah uh, to him and said, you know, what's going on here? You know, like, and then he explained to him this very famous hadith. He says that your body has a right over you. You can't just be fasting all day and praying all night and not sleeping, you know, and not giving your body the, the food that it needs. And you can't ignore the responsibilities of your family, for instance, your wife. So he restricted him. He said, moving forward, you can only fast every other day. You can no longer fast every day, right? It's, you can't do that. You cannot finish the Qur'an every day. You can only finish Khatm al-Qur'an every third day. 
And he says you have to, you have to um, spend a portion of the night sleeping and attending to the family, and you can pray for part of the night. You can't just pray all, all, all of the night. You know, imagine if that was our challenge, that we were so uh, obsessed with the worship of Allah that we had to be told by someone, you need to tone it down a bit. Right? If for us, it's about if I can only fast, you know, uh, the sunnah and nafal fast outside of Ramadan. If only I could wake up and pray the hajjid prayer. If only I could recite, you know, Quran, even one Quran a month. He had the opposite problem. Anyways, so the Prophet ﷺ recommended him. So this companion, uh, Abdullah, when he saw that this is a Sahabi who's coming in, who's a person of Jannah, and he's, you know, in his own mind, you can say like, this is Abdullah, someone who's excelling all the Sahaba when it comes to worship, but yet this person's given the title of Jannah, and I'm not. So he says, I want to observe him. So he goes to the Sahabi, he was an older Sahabi, maybe, you know, 40s, 50s, we don't know the exact age. So he goes to this and he says, hey, listen, um, would it be possible for me to observe you? I want to observe you for the next few days, you know. And he made some excuse that, you know, my father and I got into a little bit of a conflict and I need a place to stay. Can I stay with you for a few nights? So he says, okay, no problem, stay with me. So now Abdullah bin Amr ibn anhu, he goes and he stays with this companion. So now the nighttime comes. And he wants to observe what this Sahabi is doing at night because he recognizes that, look, the people of piety, they spend their nights in Allah's worship. Maybe this person is spending the whole night in ruku' or sujood or qiyam or something special he's doing. So he pretends to go to sleep. He takes his blanket, he pulls it over his head and he just leaves a little bit of opening so he can see what this special companion of Jannah is able to do. So he's observing. What does this companion do? Right? He um, recites the dua before going to bed. He lies down in his pillow he goes to sleep. He's like, what is this? He's not even praying. He prayed a Isha prayer, but he's not praying anything at night. You know, how is this person so special? And he's observing him through the night. He's expecting he's eventually going to wake up. The time for Qiyam came up. The time for Tahajjud came up. He's still sleeping. He's wondering, this person isn't even waking up for Tahajjud prayer. Eventually he wakes up and he wakes up for the Adhan of Fajr. Then he wakes up when he hears the Adhan of Fajr, he wakes up for Fajr. Now, you got to remember, at the time of the Sahaba, even the Munafiqun used to wake up for Tahajjud prayer. Even the munafiqun used to wake up for tahajjud. So let alone, you know, a pious companion of Jannah. So he sees him wake up for the fajr, pray, wakes up for fajr, and that's it. So the following night, same thing happens. He wants to observe him, you know, pulls the blanket over, looks through a little, you know, uh, looks through the blanket a little bit, creates a little hole so he can observe. And he sees this sahabi, what's he going to do tonight? Same thing. Goes to bed after Isha prayer, recites the dua, pillow, goes to sleep, sleeps all night, doesn't wake up until the fajr prayer. He's wondering, how is this person given this title? Third night, same thing happens. Goes the, the, he's observing, the sahabi goes to bed on his pillow after the Isha prayer, sleeps through the night, wakes up at the call of Fajr. So now he's bewildered and he's perplexed. You know, what is so special about this person? So eventually he approaches the sahabi and says, you know, what is it that you're doing? The Prophet ﷺ said that you're a person of Jannah. And I'm observing you, you know, then, and you're not doing any sort of extra ibadat or worship through the night. You're going to sleep and you're waking up till Fajr. What's so special about you? So he says, I don't, this, this is exactly, what you see is exactly what, who I am. There's nothing, I'm not hiding anything, this is exactly who I am. So he's like, no, 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 there must be something, there must be something. And he says, no, this is, this is who I am. This is what you see is who I am and this is all I am. <clears throat> so he eventually he, le- he starts walking toward the door, you know, maybe to approach the Prophet to find out like, what is it? Why is this person a person of Jannah? And before he gets to the door, the Sahabi says, come back, come back, come back. Okay, there's one thing. There's one thing about me. And he tells him, uh, he says, what's that one thing? He says, there's one thing. He says, that before I go to sleep every single night, I remove from my heart any ill feelings toward any other person. 
Before I go to bed at night, I remove from my heart any ill feelings toward other, toward other people. That's, that's all I do. Now when Abdullah bin Amr ibn As heard this, he jumped up. He jumped up immediately. He says, uh, uh, he says, um, he literally like physically jumped up because he was like, that's it. This is exactly what it is. This is exactly why the Prophet said that you are a person of Jannah. And so it highlights to us that, you know, this Sahabi who the Prophet is highlighting is a person of Jannah, is attaining this spot in Jannah amongst all the other Sahaba that are excelling in so many other features of worship of Allah Ta'ala, simply because of the mere act of forgiving people and, 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 and emptying his heart of any uh, ill thoughts with other people. He says specifically, any ill thoughts, of, uh, uh, he, he, he specifically would remove any ill thoughts he had toward people. And he also says that whenever anything good was given to anyone, he never had any hasad or envy toward that person. Rather, he was fully content with whatever Allah Ta'ala wanted to bless that person. Meaning, he just wanted what was best for other people. If he had to forgive them, he forgave them. So, this should be our habitual practice as well. You know, um, it, it, when we're talking about the benefits of forgiving other people, certainly... It earns us Jannah. It earns us the honor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It earns us a very high and special place that resembles a spot of the prophets because this is the quality that they had. Uh, in addition, forgiving people has a tremendous amount of benefits for us even in our own personal life and in our own health. Okay? It has even benefits for us when it comes to our own health and our own life. And, and holding grudges against people or ill will about other people in our heart, it harms none other than ourselves. You know, and the, I'm going to highlight a few of these points. There was a study that was done in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, a very prestigious journal. They looked at the effects of anger, anger and hostility toward other people and the risk of developing heart disease. And they found that people that, that harbored these thoughts and these emotions and anger, etc. within themselves, and they exhibited this, these people were at an increased risk in the long term of having heart disease. And they also found um, that in people with an existing uh, with existing heart, uh, heart disease, they have existing heart conditions, that these people had poorer outcomes in the long run as well. Uh, so it affects our physical well-being, it affects blood pressure, it affects our heart to such a degree that it actually affects our physical heart as well, um, not just our, our spiritual heart. Um, there was a study that was done in the uh, Journal of, of Health Psychology, and it showed, um, we, we know that there's a correlation between, in, uh, between stress, and if a person is stressed over the course of their life, that it, it correlates with poor mental health, right? We know that. Increased stress, poor mental health. But what they found is that amongst those that had very high stress, the one factor that pre prevented them from going on to have poor mental health was the quality or the habit of forgiving. Meaning if a person had a very stressful life, but they, within that stressful life, included within it the habit of forgiving other people, then that was able to combat the chances of developing mental health problems later. That's pretty incredible. The one quality they had, or the one habit, was that they forgave. In another study, they followed people over five weeks, and they measured stress levels. Um, and what they found, and again, they were, they were actually studying forgiveness. And they found that people that, as their habit of forgiving increased over those five weeks, their stress levels also decreased. And their, their levels of depressive symptoms also went down in that five-week period of time. The more they forgave, the less the stress, and the less... Um, uh, the, less, the less symptoms of, of mental health diseases. 
So there's a ton of literature. I mean, if you're interested, you can look this up. Um, so much so that there's actually a therapy in people that have mental health illness. There's actually a form of therapy called forgiveness therapy where they teach people how to forgive other people, not because it benefits the recipient in any way, but because it, re it benefits the person who's undergoing, uh, the, the person who's um, going through that therapy themselves. So grudges and ill feelings, etc., they don't benefit anyone. They definitely don't benefit, you know, they don't, if, if I keep ill feelings in my heart, the other person doesn't even know. It doesn't even affect them. All it does is it affects me negatively. It prevents me from being honored by Allah. It prevents me from potentially receiving the forgiveness of Allah. You know, uh, without going into too much detail, there is a very famous story at the time of the false accusation of Aisha radiallahu anha, where uh, the community of Medina was, you know, collectively, a lot of people in Medina were accusing, Ladbad bin accusing her of having committed uh, adultery, right? We know this story. And one of the people that was kind of helping spread this was the cousin of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu by the name of uh, Mistah. He was a cousin of Abu Bakr. So when Abu Bakr found out about this, and eventually Allah Ta'ala revealed the truth of Aisha and her innocence and how she didn't commit this crime, Abu Bakr, when he found out about this, uh, that the cousin was actually spreading this, he stopped giving money to his cousin. Now, this cousin was a poor cousin who was dependent on the wealth of Abu Bakr, who was very wealthy. So his livelihood, you could say, was dependent on Abu Bakr. When Abu Bakr found out that this cousin of his was bad-mouthing his daughter, he said, that's it. Why would I continue to give any money to this person? After all he's done to my family, put yourself in those shoes. Someone is spreading false rumors about your own child. And these rumors aren't, you know, any type of rumor. These are rumors of when it comes to adultery and infidelity. What would you do with this cousin or this relative? You'd say, that's it, we're done. Our relationship is over. You and I, there's no, there's no connection anymore. I have no interest in, in for, let alone assisting you, we're not even going to talk anymore. So Abu Bakr decided he's not going to give any more money. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals in the Qur'an, وَلَا يَأْتَلِي أُولُ الْفَضْنِ مِنْكُمْ مَسَاعَةِ أَنْ يُؤْتُوا أُولُ الْقُرْبَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْمُهَاجِرِينَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Don't withhold your wealth amongst the masakin and the muhajirin, etc. وَالْيَعْفُ um, وَالْيَصْفَحُ He's basically directing this, overlook them, forgive them. Allah Ta'ala says, do you not wish that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive you? Like overlook your mistakes, meaning if you overlook, if you decide that, you know what, I'm going to withhold my forgiveness and withhold my wealth because you wronged me. What about on the Day of Judgment if Allah Ta'ala says to us that you transgressed against all of my rights, right? You, you uh, did all of these things um, and, you didn't, and you didn't have the nerve to forgive my servants in that world, so you're not, you're not going to be forgiven in this, you're not going to be forgiven on this day either. Imagine if Allah Ta'ala dealt with us on that way, we can't handle it. We want Allah Ta'ala to forgive us even if we don't deserve to be forgiven. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, do you not deserve to be forgiven? Because if you do, overlook the mistakes of people in this world and Allah Ta'ala will be happily, happy to forgive you. So when this was revealed, Abu Bakr made an oath. Uh, he said, uh, sorry, he made an oath that he wasn't going to give and then he took it back and said that I will no longer withhold uh, my wealth upon this person. Because his desire was so strong that Allah Ta'ala forgive him, he didn't want to even take the chance of Allah Ta'ala ignoring this desire of his. So he resumed contrib contributing to his cousin. So, you know, just the, the, the summary is that, um, the summary of the discussion is that we should be people that forgive, and but we should be people that habitually forgive. This should be part of our practice. This shouldn't be something that we just do on occasion. So we should regularly forgive, remove ill feelings from our heart. So, so, you know, some people might say the counter argument to this is, well, if we're just forgiving people that are wronging us, well, then where is there going to be justice? 
Okay, we're, you know, how are we going to let people that wrong us continue doing what they're doing? If I forgive them, they're going to keep doing what they're doing to me. There's some truth to that. When we're talking about forgiving, we're not talking about eliminating justice from society or from the legal system. We're not saying we forgive criminals for doing what they're doing. What we're talking about when we're forgiveness, we're, dealing, we're talking about just within our own heart, our feelings toward other people. That's what's being referred to when we're talking about the importance of letting loose, especially, uh, uh, sorry, letting loose on a regular basis. So, two practice points, and then inshallah we'll, we'll, uh, we'll end the session. The first practice point for us from this session is that every night before going to bed, or as we're lying in bed, and we're reflecting upon our day, one of the things that we should do is we should actively remove any ill feelings or ill will of other people from our heart. Right? This should just be our practice. The Sahabi did it, and what happened? He earns Jannah. Right? He, he's called us a, a person of Jannah. So we too should hope that, yeah, and, and we should make this, this, this supplication that, Ya Allah, um, you know, I'm forgiving so-and-so for this with the hopes that on day of judgment you'll forgive me. Right? I'm forgiving so-and-so with hopes that you will forgive me. The second practice point is for any people that have wronged us, one of the ways, by, sometimes it can be difficult for us to, you know, overlook it. Fine, that's acceptable. We still should make the effort to forgive them. But one thing that we should try to do to make it easier is we should actually make dua for their guidance. So if we've ever been wronged by anyone, be it Muslim or non-Muslim, or relative or non-relative, someone from the community, etc., one of the habits that we should have is we should make dua for them. When the Prophet ﷺ was wronged at Ta'if, he made dua for the people of Ta'if and said that, Ya Allah, perhaps from amongst their offspring will become people that are Muslims. And what was the effect of that dua? Amazing people became Muslims from the city of Ta'if. Right? Muhammad bin Qasim, who's, who's, who's given credit for bringing the deen to all of South Asia, right? And, and all the conversion that occurs, he was from the descendants of Ta'if. It was from the dua of the Prophet. So uh, imagine if the Prophet didn't make dua and didn't wish upon them and he wanted the mountains to crush them. Now, where would that leave many of us, right? Where, would we have received deen? So we should not only forgive before going to sleep, the second practice point is people that may have oppressed us in any way, we should actually make dua for them that Allah Ta'ala guide them and relieve them, forgive them of their mistakes and their sins um, in the same way that the Prophet did. So may, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the tawfiq to be regular and habitual in forgiving others. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, increase us in our rank and honor both in this world and in the akhirah because of this practice of ours. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, allow us to uh, incorporate all of the habits of the great prophets. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.